0: I'm going to ask you to take your mind back to the last discussion you had with a person about God's plan of salvation. The discussion that took place between you and someone else, perhaps with the Bible between you, reviewing what is necessary to become a child of God. As you open your Bible and you went through that discussion, at what point did the discussion become a little bit more involved, i.e. at what point was there some disagreement? Well, if you take your Bible and you go through the plan of salvation, you know that the Bible teaches that you must hear God's word. That's obvious. In fact, that is stating the obvious. You can't believe what you don't know and you can't believe what you haven't heard. So that probably was not the sticking point most people that you would take a bible and study with believe that Jesus is the son of God and they know that they have to believe that Jesus is the son of God but then you go to the other passages that emphasize repentance you you have to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action was that a sticking point probably not Most would agree, that's that's something that you need to do if you're going to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. You can't just continue to live the way you always have. What about confession? We see that they confessed their faith during the first century. Is that a sticking point? Well, if you believe Jesus, if you believe that he is the Son of God, then confessing as much is not really going to be an issue. Now, you know where we're going with this. It's that next step, isn't it? that's the one where the discussion can sometimes be prolonged. And that's the point about baptism. Well, there's different responses that someone might give if you tell them why we believe that baptism is essential for salvation. They can disagree with that. They can say, well, I don't believe it's necessary for salvation. In fact, I believed that when I Confessed or repented or expressed faith in Christ, I was saved at that point. Now, I believe in baptism, but I believe that baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith, and for that reason, it's something that I did later. I didn't see it as being a matter of urgency. It wasn't something that was essential. At this point, further study is required in order for there to be some agreement. You've heard me say this, and I've said this for years, but when, when, when two people disagree on the same point, either one or both is wrong. When it comes to the objective standard of God's Word, which we saw in our study last week, is the objective standard. And this is why we believe that what one believes makes a difference. It's because we have this standard that has been given to us. But when we have one standard and two people looking at that same standard and they don't agree, either one or both is wrong. If the standard is 12 inches in a foot, one says that it's 12 inches in a foot, the other says it's 13 inches in the foot, then one or both is wrong. Now, it can be, again, that both are wrong. But we have to admit that if we have a standard, we must follow the standard. So, in these discussions that we might have with those who would disagree on the subject of baptism, what are we going to teach them? Well, I think we have to begin with this thought or this understanding, again, as we expressed last week, that we must speak as it were the oracles or the utterances of God on that subject in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. In fact, that's a commandment. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, if anyone speak or teach, let him speak or teach as it were the oracles or the utterances of God. Well, if it's a Bible subject and God has spoken on the subject, why wouldn't we speak as God has spoken? And if we don't speak as God has spoken... Are we speaking the standard? Can you rely upon what someone says if you can't find that standard in the Bible? And when it comes to the matter of what we have to do in order to enjoy eternal life, surely God who showed us that he wants us to be saved by the sacrifice of his son on the cross, surely that God is going to speak clearly on what we must do to become Christians. So if I'm going to speak on the subject, if you're going to speak on the subject, and the subject is addressed in the Bible, then we must speak of that subject in the way that God has spoken. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus gave to his disciples, those who would be known as the apostles, he gave them a great commission. And then he said in very simple terms in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, he who has believed, he told them go and preach the gospel to all creation and he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Believes and has been baptized. He doesn't say believes and or has been baptized he doesn't say he has believed shall be saved and then baptism can follow later he uses the coordinate conjunction and bringing those two together you can't have you can't have the end result without both you can't have the number two unless you add one plus one It's only when you've put the two together that you have the number two. So Jesus then himself, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to listen to what he says on this subject. I said a moment ago that Jesus was telling those who would be his apostles to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. They went and they did that. And we have in the book of Acts a divinely inspired record of the Acts of the Apostles. One of those apostles was a man by the name of Peter. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up before the multitudes and he did the very thing that Jesus commanded him to do. That is, he preached the gospel. He convinced 3,000 Jews that Jesus was the Son of God. And they asked the question being pierced in the heart, what shall we do? What shall we do? And we're going to talk about faith only next week, but I will say at this point, if all they had to do was believe, then the discussion would have been over. Peter would not have said anything else. When they asked the question, what shall we do? Peter's response in verse 38, and this is not surprising because this was an apostle who was sent by Jesus to preach the gospel and was told that he who... It, who has believed and is baptized shall be saved. We should not be surprised that his response was to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Jesus told them to say. And so they went preaching the gospel, and that's what they said. Now, one objection that may be raised at this point is, well, the... The word for. He said to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And incidentally, repentance is necessary too. Peter uses the coordinate conjunction and, once again, repent and each of you be baptized. If if you're saved before you're baptized, then that means you're saved before you repent. But when he said for the forgiveness of your sins, some might argue, well, that means because of. You're you're baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. And if that's the case, then baptism does follow faith. You're saved when you believe, and then you're baptized later. But let's think about that little three-letter word, for for just a moment. It means in order to. In other words, you're baptized in order to have the remission of your sins. This is not in the outline, but in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus used the same word when he was instituting the Lord's Supper. And in Matthew chapter 26 in verse 28, Jesus said to his disciples, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. If for means because of, then what that would mean is that Jesus is going to sacrifice himself on the cross because of sins. No. He's not telling his disciples that I'm going to die because sins are forgiven. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to die in order to produce the forgiveness of sins. And it's the same word again that Peter used over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So forgiveness of sins follows repentance. It follows baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, if the Holy Spirit were going to choose words that would lead us to the understanding that baptism saves us, what words would the Holy Spirit have chosen? Perhaps he would have chosen some like 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. And he's comparing this to what happened at the flood when Noah and his family, eight persons, you see the reference in verse 20, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Is there anything complicated about the language that we've looked at thus far? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Baptism now saves us. When we speak this way, are we not speaking, as it were, the oracles or the utterances of God? Give me book, chapter, and verse. For this thought that baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. That's not even in the Bible. That's not even in the Word of God. God never uttered those words. These are the words that God uttered. And then in the book of Galatians, the third chapter, when Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia about various matters, he writes to them about the subject of faith. You'll see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, I believe it is. Yes, now that faith has come we are no longer, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What does baptism do? Baptism is the believer's wedding ceremony. It is at the point of baptism that we become one with Jesus. We are baptized into Christ. Can you be clothed with Christ without being in Christ? No. How do you get into Christ? We are baptized into that relationship. So baptism is essential for salvation if we're going to speak the utterances or the oracles of God on this subject. Now let's consider and ask the question, well, what did penitent sinners do in the first century? Let's go back 2,000 years ago. Jesus sent the apostles into all the world to preach the gospel. We know what the, the message that they were to preach was. In reality, what did they do? We started a moment ago in the second chapter of the book of Acts. We'll go back to that place. And if you have your newsletter you'll see that there's a chart that is what is in the workbook that covers these different cases of conversion. So in the second chapter of the book of Acts, we read about those Jews who, as we noted earlier, they were pierced to the heart. They asked the question, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And the reality is that in verse 41, the Bible says that those who had received his word, were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Why didn't they wait a month? Why didn't they wait several weeks? It's because they knew that if they were going to have forgiveness of their sins, they needed to be baptized. That's what Jesus commanded, and that's what Peter taught them that they must do. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, after the stoning and the death of Stephen, the disciples who had came together and made up the church at Jerusalem were dispersed because of a great persecution that began. Saul, who would become the apostle Paul, was the leader of that persecution. But we read in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we read about a conversion that took place as Philip, an evangelist, traveled north to Samaria. And he preached the gospel. And the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago is stated in these two verses. When they believed Philip, Philip, excuse me, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Why were they being baptized? It's because Philip was preaching the truth on the subject. And they understood They had to be baptized in order to be saved. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. Simon was a sorcerer. He was baptized as well. In this same chapter in the book of Acts, later Philip went and he met one who had been to Jerusalem to worship. who was an official from Ethiopia, the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading from the book of Isaiah. Philip went up and he joined himself to the chariot. He was reading from the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah about the suffering servant. And he asked Philip some questions. Philip preached Jesus to him. And then in verse 36, as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Why did he ask that question? It's because Philip had preached the same message to the eunuch that he preached to the Samaritans earlier. And remember in verse 12 of the same chapter, they were being baptized. He preached that you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. He said, what, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized we shouldn't be surprised, because that is the consistent practice that we read about in the New Testament. The next conversion was Saul, the one I mentioned earlier, who was persecuting the church. He had his Damascus Road experience, and later, as he was relating that experience, as we read in the twenty-second chapter of the book of uh, book twenty-second chapter of the book of Acts, verse sixteen. Ananias told him, a a man who was teaching Paul what he had to do to be saved, he told him to get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's the same thing that Peter said. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Be baptized and wash away your sins. What did penitent sinners do in the first century? We talked last week about Cornelius, who was a, a religious man. He was a devout man. He was a man that gave many alms to the people. He feared God with all of his household. But Peter was sent to him to tell him what he needed to do in order to be saved. In Acts 10, verse 48, we read that he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why did he order them to be baptized? Because Jesus had ordered Peter to preach... He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The message wasn't different for Cornelius from the message that was preached on the day of Pentecost that resulted in the salvation of 3,000 Jews. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, on his second missionary journey as Paul came to Philippi, he met a group of ladies who had assembled for prayer at, at, at the river, and one of those ladies, by the name of Lydia, she became a Christian. And in the 16th chapter, the book of Acts, in verse 15, when she and her household had been baptized. Why were they baptized? You know the answer to that question. Later in this same chapter, when when Philip and, and Silas were put in prison, they were released. There was an earthquake. The jailer came to Philip, came to Paul and Silas, excuse me, came to them and asked in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Aha, so that's all you have to do. No, verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. He took them that very hour of the night. That is, the jailer took Paul and Silas. He washed their wounds, which was evidence of repentance on the part of the jailer. And immediately he was baptized. He and all of his household. Why? Why didn't they wait? If it were an outward expression of an inward faith and they had already been saved when they believed, Peter would have, uh, Paul would have said nothing. They didn't wait because they knew baptism was essential. It was essential for salvation. Later, Paul comes to the city of Corinth, and he goes and he begins to preach the gospel in that place. And in verse 8 of Acts chapter 18, we read that Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house and many of the Christians, Corinthians, when they heard were believing, and they were baptized. Every case of conversion. Interestingly enough, you'll see this on the chart, which is duplicated here, and the letters are probably too small to see. But this illustrates a very important point, And that is, in each case of conversion... You go from the Jews to the Samaritans, the eunuch, Saul, Cornelius, Lydia, Jailer, and the Corinthians. They heard, they believed. Repentance wasn't mentioned in each case. But each case dictated what was going to be said. Same with confession. But in all cases, you see baptism mentioned. So why is this the sticking point? Why is this so difficult for people to accept? We believe what we want to believe. We believe what we've always been taught. And sometimes truth is difficult to accept. But if we're going to speak as it were the oracles or the utterances of God on the subject of baptism, then we're going to teach what the Bible teaches on that subject. And if we want to have confidence that we've been forgiven of our sins, then we go back to the first century and we look at the different cases of conversion and we look at what penitent sinners did 2,000 years ago, and we know we're standing on solid ground when we do what they did. You'll have an opportunity later this morning to become a child of God. An invitation will be extended. And at that point, there will be the gospel calling you. You'll have an opportunity to answer. And your answer will be yes, or your answer will be no, if you've never been saved by the blood of Jesus. Let's go to God down in